0: Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Well, I'm so glad you're with us today. And uh, this weekend, I am excited to introduce you to a friend of mine. Some of you know Jim Jordan. I guess it's Junior. But uh, Jim Jordan and his wife, Ruby, have been married for 28 years. But for about 30 years, Jim has been... In fact, we were sharing stories of how our paths crossed we think around 29, 30 years ago and over the last 18 years, uh, Jim and I have been friends and I've been delighted to preach at his, uh, his church in northern Michigan. A couple of years ago, Jim uh, accepted the position as our regional director and uh, over the last two years has led our churches, about 60 of them or so in our, in our region. Uh, through some pretty challenging times, kind of been a unique time as he stepped into that. Uh, they have three children together. Isaac's with us. The others are, I think, out of the house or so. And uh, I am excited to introduce you to a friend of mine. So, would you give him a Colonial Woods welcome to Jim Jordan as he comes this morning?
1: Thank you, Brother Phil. I appreciate that. Uh, it's great to be with you here this morning, and I know some of you and others of you, this is the first time. Hi, I'm Jim. My beautiful wife is right there, and uh, she's probably the, the one that's worth looking at, um, and uh, amen. Glory to God. Uh, I stand next to her, and it makes me look a whole lot better. Um So praise the Lord for his blessings. Uh, I do have three wonderful children. Sarah is married to Everett, and they are both music teachers in South Bend. Uh, And Leah is not married. Uh, She also lives in South Bend. My daughters went to Bethel University and just stayed right there in town. Um, And so then Isaac is 13, and he lives with us, and uh, we are blessed by that. Uh, I'm glad to report to you that God has really been helping me uh, with uh, some challenging health issues that I've had since August. Uh, I had a heart attack at Brown City Camp last year. It wasn't because of Brown City Camp, um, as far as I'm aware, uh, but uh, I'm glad that uh, God has very much been right here helping, strengthening, and, and healing as I've walked through this, uh, this whole process. And so I'm very, very grateful. This morning I'd like to open God's Word at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, if you'd care to turn there, I will uh, run through a little bit of a uh, contextualization of kind of where we're going. Uh, Jesus had chosen 12 guys, and I'm sure that you're very familiar with that scenario. Uh, Jesus had a whole bunch of people who followed him, but there were 12 people that he specifically chose and said, You're going to be my disciples. And uh, this was a very common practice in the days of Israel in which Jesus was living. A rabbi, a a learned teacher, would allow a a certain few number of, of individuals to come near to him, and he would invest himself in them over a period of years. And the idea was this rabbi only has a certain amount of time, and he's going to use them that time to reproduce his life his work his personality his ministry philosophy all of those things into these other people so that when he is off the scene there's all of these others who will carry on who he is and Jesus did this differently than most rabbis of his day we don't really have time to talk about that now but Jesus did things differently and praise the lord for that um From day one, he not only called them his disciples, and they uh, referred to him as their rabbi, but he also called them another name. It was Apostle. He called them his apostles, and that word means sent out once. Uh, So from day one, there was this understanding that sooner or later, he was going to be sending them out to carry on ministry work that he would be entrusting to them. And so in Matthew, we find that uh, Jesus gave uh, the only written prayer request that we have in God's word from Jesus directly, asked the Lord of the harvest to raise up more laborers for his harvest field. And then Matthew lists the, the names of those 12 guys, and immediately following that, Jesus encouraged them to become the answer to their prayer, And he sent them out. He delegated to them some of his authority and he sent them out to minister. Now Luke tells us that this happened another time where Jesus chose 72 of his followers and he sent them out to go and minister. The word apostle is there in the text in Luke in its verb form. He literally apostled them. He sent them out. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane Uh, as he was praying there to his father just prior to the cross. He was praying, and he said in John 17 there, as you apostled me, you sent out me into this world, so I have apostled them into this world, referring to his disciples. Immediately after his resurrection, the, the day that he had risen alive in victory and power and glory from the tomb, praise the Lord, uh, he inserted himself into the room where his, his followers, his disciples were, and he said, peace to you. And the very next thing he said, John tells us, is as the Father has sent, apostled me, I am now dispatching you. I am transmitting the word of direction to go out into this world that I received from my Father. I am, I am bestowing it upon you. This responsibility, this opportunity, I'm giving it to you. Uh, and then Matthew records for us what we now call the Great Commission, where Jesus did not use the word apostle, uh, but he he called them to live out this sent out nature of, uh, uh, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go <coughs> Excuse me, and make disciples of all nations. He was sending them out as his apostles. That brings us here to Acts chapter 1, where we have record of the last words that uh, Jesus spoke prior to his ascension back into heaven, where uh, we're going to pick up reading at verse 6. If you have your Bible there, Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Luke, the good doctor, writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Witnesses. That's a very important word, witness. Uh, We think of a witness, we think of a trial usually. Uh, A a witness is someone who, who gives testimony, who shares information. A witness is someone who says, this is what I know. A witness offers first-hand information. Often in a trial, they will call an expert witness, someone who can, can list their, their credentials, their pedigree, their, their professional work in a particular field of, of science or, or discipline, and they can say, because I have this amount of training, I know that this is what's going on. Other people are called because they have, they have participated, not necessarily participated, but they have, they have watched what has happened in a particular place. They, we call them eyewitnesses. I was there. I saw this happen. I, I have personal experience because this is what I personally saw. These are the facts as I understand them. I have a clear working knowledge of the situation in question. I am a witness. A witness says, this is the truth. In fact, you probably remember the, the oath that people are asked to give as they are placed on the witness stand. There, there usually is a Bible there and they put their hand on the Bible and they raise their other hand and you remember the question. Do you swear or solemnly affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth to help you God? And the person says, I do. And they sit in the witness box. Why, why do they ask that? They're asking for the whole truth. The whole truth means I'm not leaving out any portion of relevant information. And I'm not, I, I'm not going to just leave something out because it's less desirable or it might make me wish that it was different. Nothing but the truth means I'm not sharing my opinion, I'm sharing fact, well, I think it should be. We don't want to hear about that. We don't care what you think it should be. We want to know what did happen. Uh, the, the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth means you're, you're not exaggerating. Exaggerating. And then it was, and, and then, and we don't want to know about that. We want to know this is what happened. There's no embellishment to give the truth a little more zing and a little more appeal. Uh, we just want to know what happened. Nothing but the truth. The truth does not rely upon devising a clever strategy so that it is, is more fun to listen to. The truth it does not follow a memorized or canned sales gimmick style approach. The truth is the truth. And you promise on a Bible. I've often been curious about that. In fact, I did a little research as to why, why do they use a Bible? Uh, well, the Bible is the ultimate document of truth. And so you're putting your hand on the Bible, and what you're you're saying is, what I am telling you is the truth, even as the words of this book are the truth. There's there's a connotation involved there of, if what I'm telling you or going to tell you is false, I recognize it, it is a transgression against the truth of this book for which I will be held liable. Basically, you're calling on God, who is the ultimate authority, as your witness. As God is my witness, I am telling you the truth. The the word witness is translated for us out of the original language in which this text was written. And the word in the original language is is the word martyr. Martyr. Well, that gives things a little bit more... uh, intensity, doesn't it? Uh, This is a line in the sand. I am am offering this as ultimately important. There's a backbone here. I I offer everything to this truth. I, I am willing to die rather than to give up this truth. There's a cost involved there. And even if there is, I'm willing to pay the cost. No cost is too high for sharing and living out this truth. I am a witness. I like Charles Colson. Charles Colson's in heaven now, but um, he was a a politician, part of the uh, the whole Watergate scandal back in the day. And uh, Charles Colson was indicted. He was convicted. He was sentenced to prison. While he was in prison, he found Jesus. His whole life was changed, and he started a ministry uh, of ministry to prisoners. And he had this Breakpoint uh, Daily Radio broadcast that he did Uh, he did a great work with the rest of his life Um, and he had this to say he said I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me how because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years never once denying it Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Those are good words people are not willing to suffer or even die for something that they know is a lie. These people were saying, I am a witness. Christian witnesses testify to personal experience. I love what John wrote in the very beginning of his first letter. Uh, the, the, we call it 1 John. In First John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, which our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is saying, I am a witness. Now, you and I, we are witnesses in a little different way. Uh, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're called to be a witness. Now, we were not personally there at the cross. We did not go to the empty tomb on that morning. We, we did not experience the wonder of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Nevertheless, we know Jesus we can say, "I have firsthand experience of his power to completely transform a life. I know it's true because it's true right there." And that truth is transformational because truth when it is clearly proclaimed without any nonsense added, offered by a person who's willing to stand up and stand firm regardless of the personal cost involved, that is transformative to people. They see that and they say, there is something there. I don't know what that person is doing. I don't know where they come from. I don't know what's going on with them, but they have something and I like it. And I want it because it transforms a life. Jesus did not just say, you'll be witnesses. He said, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. That implies relationship. There's a relationship there. Jesus had a relationship with these guys. For, for something like three and a half years, he had, he had been with them. They had walked and talked together throughout that whole area. Jesus had poured himself into their lives and now he is dispatching them to pour into the lives of other people what he has shared with them. And us, we have relationship with Jesus. Jesus has been shared with us. There was somebody somewhere who at least invited you to this church this morning. There was somebody who who maybe has poured himself or herself into your life, shown you this is who Jesus is. This is how you can know him. This is what a relationship with him looks like. And we've come into relationship with him. We have his, his word of truth that we can see and understand and know. We have his Holy Spirit who speaks and directs us. We have relationship. We are we're not witnesses about us. We're witnesses about him. We're his witnesses. And that gives us a very strong reminder that Jesus is our focus. Jesus is our focus. This, is, this all witnessing thing, it's not about me. It's about him. And and so when I'm talking to people about who Jesus is and, and and when I'm sharing with them about Christian experience, it's not about me. Nobody nobody comes to church to see Jim Jordan. Nobody wants to hear about Pastor Phil Whetstone. Nobody wants to Nobody wants to hear more about Dan Hamrick. Amen. Amen. <laughs> what everybody needs to know is Jesus and who he is and how he transforms lives and his glory and his power. And so we, we are not about us. In fact, Jesus said, if you're going to even come after me as one of my followers, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's not about me. It's not about me being fat and happy all the time. It is, it is him. And so we do this focusing on him, not not on the world's ways. We're we're not going to do things according to the world's system. This is not a social justice platform. This is not political activism. This is not about race or culture or any of the world's systems or talking points. Not that any of those things are unimportant, but they're not the point. The point of all of us being witnesses for Jesus is Jesus. Jesus. And the fact that we want everyone to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is where it's all coming to a point. Jesus is our declaration. We declare his power. We declare his transformation of lives. We declare his forgiveness for our sins. We declare his healing. We declare his calling we declare his glory. It's about him, not about us. It's all about Jesus. Paul said to the Corinthian church when he was writing to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We're His witnesses. We are witnesses of Him and for Him. And there's a very personal nature to this. He said, You will be my witnesses. Oh. Well, boy, that brings it right down to brass tacks, doesn't it? Uh, You will be my witnesses. I'm sure glad for what he said just prior to that. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. Praise the Lord. This is not about us trying really, really hard to do nice things and be nice people. I'm so grateful for that. This is not about what I can do or achieve or become by myself. If if the salvation of anybody relies on me, we're all in trouble. I can't even save myself, let alone you. We have to have the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is our help. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. You look at what the Holy Spirit does and how he ministers. He's always pointing to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He, he reminds us of Jesus' teaching. This is one of the reasons why it is so important for us to be in the Word. It's important for us to have regular time where we're looking at God's Word, we're studying God's Word, we're filling our hearts with God's Word. Because at the right moment, in the right scenario, the Holy Spirit will remind us of what we've been reading in God's Word. He will will bring that Word to mind where it applies, and He will help us to see His truth and how He wants us to live His truth in and with and through our lives. In a relational interaction, in a stressful situation, in a confrontation, he brings His word to our hearts and helps us to know this is the way. Do it this way. The Holy Spirit reminds us, just like Jesus said He would, of what Jesus has taught us. The Holy Spirit fills us with Jesus' power and Jesus' authority. The, the disciples here that are mentioned, they were nobodies from nowhere. And then they started preaching the good news of Jesus' his coming, of his death, of his resurrection, of his power to transform a life. And, and people were getting saved, lives were being transformed, and the Jewish leaders couldn't stand it. And they said, you cannot preach in that name. And they said, we can't help it. You do what you gotta do, but we're gonna talk about Jesus. And the Jewish leaders were astonished And they said, these men are nobodies. But they've been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit had come upon them in such power that they were declaring God's truth with wonderful power and authority and and people's lives being changed and people were being healed and all the rest. and, And people were saying, oh, it's because they were with Jesus. They were his witnesses. He guides us too. He guides us with Jesus' wisdom to know what to do and how to do it and when to do it and where to do it. And Jesus says here, you'll have opportunity. He said, you'll be my witnesses. That word you is a plural you because there were several people who were standing there and there's several of us. We are his witnesses. It's not just about Pastor Phil and the rest of the pastoral staff here at Colonial Woods Missionary Church and how they should be better witnesses. This is about us. We are the family of God. We who call ourselves followers of Jesus need to follow Jesus and be his witnesses. There's opportunity there. And he mentions several places. Jerusalem, he mentions. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is right where they were. It, it, was, it was kind of right here in town, boys. Uh, and, and you're going you're gonna to be my witnesses right here. The Holy Spirit came on them right there. And immediately they were his witnesses, right there. That's exactly where things started. And then Jesus mentioned Judea. Judea was the larger uh, geographical location where they were. It's kind of like the district or county or whatever. Uh, and so there was, there was a bunch of people that were in that vicinity. And there would have been minor differences between one town or another, but the same, same folks, same culture, same, same way of thinking. Just more people, a broader scope. But then he mentions Samaria. Now that's getting a little serious. Samaria. Nobody wants to go to Samaria. Nobody goes. Who would go to Samaria? Samaria is those people. Samaria, these, these, there is some serious culture and racial prejudice going on here between the Jews and the Samaritans. They did not interact. They, the Jews called the Samaritans dogs. They would not even touch or eat with a dish that the Samaritans had touched. They, they would not eat in the presence of a Samaritan. They hated the Samaritans. And Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses to the Samaritans. Whoa. That's, that's intense. Sometimes Jesus calls us to go places that are uncomfortable and to interact with people that ain't like us. And he says, You be my witnesses. You be my witnesses there. And then he said, To the ends of the earth. That's pretty broad scope. That's wherever the opportunity presents itself to go. That's whoever you find yourself with. Recently, I had a heart catheterization. That was my fifth. Uh, I'm getting used to them now. I'm collecting stints. Um, and my wife says, you have a large enough collection. Um, so I, I had a heart cath, and I was in the hospital overnight, and there was a guy next to me. He was a newbie. First stint. Uh, first heart attack. And uh, I, I, it just rocked his world. He doesn't know Jesus. He has no relationship with God. And uh, he's over there. He's freaking out. And I mean, I was I was still kind of out of it and in some pain and and kind of funky because I just had just okay, and and yet the Lord put me in a hospital room with Ben. And Ben. That's the first time, okay, I mentioned I've had five heart casts. I have always been in a room by myself. This is the first time I was not in a room by myself. And so I'm in there with Ben. And me and Ben are there, and I had a chance to interact with Ben and and to begin a relationship with Ben and to talk with Ben a little bit. And I'm here to tell you that I blew it. I should have prayed with Ben before I left. I, I left the hospital before he did. I should have interacted with him more about Jesus and his peace and his help. I'm telling you, what, I'm, I'm still learning this myself. Um, and, and, and yet, I was able to get Ben's contact information. So we've been texting back and forth. I'm trying to build a relationship so that I can walk with him toward Jesus. But I, it's still a work in progress. There's opportunities. I just have to make the most of those opportunities. And so do you. Because Jesus expects us. There's an expectation. How many times did Jesus say, go? He gave us this great commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go. You will be my witnesses. There's accountability here. Think of the parable of the talents that Jesus told. You remember this this parable? I, I think that this is a huge parable for the church where the master entrusted a certain sum of money to each of the servants, and the servants were, were supposed to do something with that wealth while the master was away. They were responsible. And then the master came back, and he settled accounts with the servants, and those who, who worked and increased the master's money were, were praised and rewarded. And the one guy who simply returned what had been entrusted to him was shamed he was rebuked he was rejected he was turned away friends be careful when jesus says you will be my witnesses be careful that we're not his witnesses cuz we don't want to be there we don't want to don't be that guy jesus was not telling that story just to hear himself talk there was a point there there's going to come a day when we will stand before him each of us, and he will say, these are the opportunities I laid before you. What have you done with them? We want to be ready on that day to say, Jesus, I'm your witness. I'm your man. I'm your woman. Two ladies in the 1800s lived in a northern Michigan town, a little village, and they were part of a Pilgrim Holiness Church. Pilgrim Holiness Church is now the Wesleyan Church. And so they're part of a, what's now a Wesleyan Church. And they knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. And they knew that the next town over, was a it was a booming lumber town. And uh, there's a lot of people over there. They need Jesus. And so they would get in their horse-drawn wagon, and they would drive and hour and a half one way over to this next town, it's about seven miles over and they started a Bible study. These, these two ladies they just love Jesus, I'm a witness. I, 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 you know They didn't have any doctrinal dissertations or diplomas hanging on the wall. They just knew I'm a witness for Jesus. These people need to know him. They started a Bible study that Bible study became a church. I was privileged to pastor that church for 21 years. It's, it's a thriving church today because two ladies said, I'll be his witness. This church, Mary Yauzi and Ella Diddy, two ladies, you know what? People in Port Heron need to know Jesus. We, we know Jesus. We'll share Jesus. And today, you have this church. It's a thriving church with a worldwide impact because two ladies said, people just need to know Jesus. They just need to know him. And I want to be his witness. He said, you'll be my witnesses. I will be his witness. What's Jesus asking of you? How is he asking you to be his witness? How is he calling you to serve? You're going to go to work tomorrow. Or maybe you're going to go play golf or whatever it is. You are are going to interact with somebody who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Jesus said, you'll be my witness. There's an expectation. There will be accountability. But he's asking us. He's saying, you be my witness. Will you be his witness? This isn't the kind of message that you end with an altar call necessarily. This is a go and do it kind of a message. Jesus is calling us to be his witnesses. Go and do it.
0: You know, as Jim was sharing that final story. By the way, those pictures are right out there on that little wall, those two ladies. Over 125 years ago, decided to plant a seed. And as I was sitting there listening, Jim, I thought to myself, what seeds are we planting today? Scriptural principle is plant a seed, reap a harvest. Plant a seed reap a harvest or as scripture says it, what you reap, you sow. What am I planting today that actually will outlast my life? What seed am I sowing that I think one day might actually reap a harvest in somebody else's life? It may result in a church. It might just result in a changed life. God doesn't call you to be successful calls you to be faithful so be faithful and let him determine what kind of fruit comes out of that and so father this morning i thank you for the time we've had in your word and i thank you for the challenge once again from jesus your own words and i just pray the holy spirit that you would lead us to know where to plant seeds some of us have seeds that'll probably start as soon as we walk out the door and our car on the way home, we need to plant a seed. And some of us are gonna go to lunch with somebody, we need to plant a seed. And some of us, it's, it's a neighbor or someone we're gonna come into contact with. I'm Still struck a few weeks ago, reading the passage out of Acts that said that uh, when they saw the courage Peter and John, they took note that he had been with Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through this week and in the weeks to come, we would be really faithful with the trust that you've given us. That people would take note that we've been with Jesus and that it would make an impact in their life. Thanks, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.